So we kicked off this series last week uh, asking for a friend. Sometimes there's questions we don't want to ask, and so we say, hey, I'm asking this for a friend. And last week, we uh, tackled the question, um, is there more to life than this? And I think all of us have ran into a moment in life where we felt like if we can just get here, then we'll be fulfilled. Then we'll be happy. And we get to that moment, and we live in it for a minute, and then we begin to feel like, oh, I thought it would be better than this. You know, you know what I mean? Have you ever been there? And, and so there is, this, uh, there is this ongoing search for, for happiness or um, fulfillment or contentment that all humans are, are seeking after. Faith is a, a step of belief or trust that helps us find some solid ground. And the truth is, every worldview, when you think about how we view the world and whether or not we, we believe there's a God, every worldview uh, requires some extent of faith. Every worldview. Even if you're an atheist who would say, I don't believe there is a God, that takes a step of faith to believe that. And so it's important to step back and take in some evidence to look at what's in front of us and around us and really wrestle with what do we believe? Where is my faith or who is my faith placed in? Is it myself? Is it in science? Is it in what can't be seen? Or is there a God? So that's, that's the journey we're going, going on. Russell Brand is an, author, or a, is a, is an actor, and we, I found this, this quote to be uh, quite revealing and true. Drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are the solution to fill up a hole inside of me. And I just think that is an insight into every human life. And you can fill the blank of alcohol and drugs with whatever you want to fill it with. But the idea is we're all trying to fill something, some gap, um, space, or hole that's within us. How we do that is really, really important. Um, now, we kicked off on Wednesday through this seven-week uh, period of time Alpha is a, a series of conversations and videos that we're going to watch together on Wednesday nights. We had about 140 people here this past Wednesday night who were walking through uh, the, that first conversation. And here's, here's what I want to invite you to. Some of you, I mentioned that we were going to do this, and the idea of watching a video and then getting into a small group just terrifies you, and you're like, can I just see the video? And my answer to you is yes. If you want to come on Wednesday night and just watch the video, and there's like 150 people going to be here anyway, then you can slip out and act like you're going to a small group off campus, and no one will know the difference. <laughs> and so that video is 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, we'll watch it about 6.30, 6.40. So slip in, watch the video, and then slip out. It's all good. But I, I think it's such good uh, content and conversation starters that you'll be glad that you spent some time doing this. Um, in fact, I wanna give you just a glimpse of the video for this week, and um, it introduces the question. So here's the question we're gonna to tackle today. Who is Jesus? He's a character in the Bible. <laughs> he has something to do, to do with God. Long hair, wears a white robe. <laughs> Uh, 
I don't know. Uh, actually, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I've never personally met him, but I know a lot of people have. He was a prophet, one of them, one of the many. A nice guy <laughs> from the Middle East. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. An everyday guy. A man of conviction. He knows what it feels like to be human, to be rejected. The friend of, of those that are often mocked. I don't know. A man. Yeah. Uh, who who lived he at one point. Nobody knows who Jesus is, let me tell you. 33-year-old carpenter from the Middle East. That's like a dude that like in the Bible says he died for us. Paved a way for us to, to live differently. He was somebody, he did live, right? But who he was to you is different. I think Jesus is just a symbol, it has symbolism. Jesus is my savior. But he could also really be a good friend. He's relatable to me. He's my everyday chance at life, the creator of all. That's why I believe this is the reason why we're all here. Yeah. Interesting, if you start to get uh, answers to that question from a wide variety of people, you get a lot of different answers. Who is Jesus? And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take a step back and um, look at Jesus from a bit of a historical and social context and picture. So I want to encourage you to set aside, if you can, set aside for a minute, um, maybe your hang up on whether or not Jesus uh, was resurrected from the dead and some of the miracles which sometimes trip us up. And let's just talk about Jesus. Uh, Bono, do you know Bono? You heard of him? You too, the band? He said this, I, I like this. He said, my understanding of scripture has been made simple by the person of Christ. Christ teaches that God is love. God is love, and as much as I can respond in allowing myself to be transformed by that love and acting in, in that love, that's my religion. So when asked about kind of his beliefs, he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus is, like when I have questions about scripture, like especially I think he would say the Old Testament, I've heard him talk a little bit about that. He said, Jesus is the clarity, sometimes in the confusion, of who God is. So for him, when he looks at the person of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, then he begins to see something that brings clarity and, and love to the overall view of who God is. Does that, does that make sense? Now, um, here's what I want to do just for a few minutes. And I'm going to try not, I, I think, so <laughs> there's a lot to be said about Jesus. Is that an understatement? I mean, books have been written Movies have been made, and so I can't say everything there is to, to say about Jesus, but I want to look at Jesus in a, in a few different lights, um, and here's what I want to look at, how he interacted and thought about children and education, care in hospitals, compassion and recovery, art, music, and culture. And what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus himself. So even back a little bit further, Jesus... Uh, there, there's a lot of historical evidence, overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus actually lived a life, right? right? He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a little village outside of a larger city, Jerusalem, in, in the Middle East. Um, tiny little village, born to a couple of poor teenagers, Mary and Joseph, uh, grew up kind of between Bethlehem and then the northern side of a, of a sea, the lake uh, Galilee, 
um, kind of up on the northern side, Nazareth and Capernaum. He kind of grew up in that region, and that's the only places he really traveled, a very small footprint in our world. And uh, I don't know if you knew, knew this, but Instagram and TikTok did not exist in the days of Jesus. That's a surprise to some of the young people. It wasn't there, and so there was no way to get the teachings of Jesus broadcast on a, on a large scale. He couldn't be an influencer like we have influencers today. But he, I would suggest to you, has had the most profound influence of any human being who has ever lived in this world. And um, that's, that's what I want to look at a little bit. So did you know in the days of Jesus, Seneca was a writer and wrote this about the days of Jesus. Um, he said that when children were born in that day, if they were weak or abnorm, abnormal, did, did you know that they just drowned those children? Now, I know that's unthinkable to us, but that was just the culture. And oftentimes, if uh, a couple had the wrong gender baby, that baby would be left at the trash heap of the city. Can you guess what the gender was? Yeah, female. And that was just the culture. It, it just was how the children were viewed only in the ways that they could provide for the family and ways that they would show help for the adults. Children were kind of seen as a nuisance and were set aside. But Jesus, in his historical person, said things like this, let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these little children. Jesus believed so much in the value and worth of children who were often set aside and thought of as secondary citizens, he saw them with great worth and actually said that God's kingdom, whatever you believe about God, God's kingdom belonged to those who had faith like children. Isn't that amazing? Jesus believed so much in children and valued them and, and he believed, Jesus added this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and believe that every person should have a mind that was engaged in their pursuit of God and how they lived in the world. And so education has been shaped in many ways by the teachings of Jesus. Did you know that? The, edu- the way that our education, now I know you might go to a public school today and go, no way. But education and how it was formed really was shaped by the people of Jesus, people who were influenced by this man who lived in the Middle East, Jesus. Um, here's, a, here's a picture of that. So Sunday school. Have you ever heard of Sunday school? Anybody heard of Sunday school? Yeah? I know. Just the mention of Sunday school brings a tear to our eyes. In 1780, in Europe, many children, um, probably the majority of children, worked six days a week to help provide for their families. They were needed for labor. So these children had no way of gaining an education. Uh, Robert Rakes, who was a follower of Jesus, had been influenced by the teachings of Jesus, took these words of Jesus to heart. He started a school to teach kids how to read and write and learn about God in 1780. 
50 years later, 1.5 million children were being educated who were not being educated before then. And they were being taught by 160,000 volunteers who were giving their time to educate children. Why did that happen? Because some people took seriously the teachings of Jesus. Jesus and the life of Jesus influenced the ways that we see education. Uh, Look at this. This is from a, a university handbook, student handbook. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The aim of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and to lay Christ as the foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Now, you would read this and you would think for sure this is Anderson University, that fine Christian institution of higher learning that Matt Anderson attended, or Grand Canyon University here in Phoenix, which is a Christian university founded on Christian principles. This comes from the student handbook of none other than Harvard University in its earliest days. And look at this, of those universities that were founded as America came into being, a couple slides down, Russ, somewhere, 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities founded in America were begun for followers of this uneducated, itinerant, never-wrote-a-book carpenter named Jesus. Education in America was shaped by followers of Jesus who took the message of Jesus seriously and wanted to see it impact the culture, the mind, and children who should not be seen as secondary in our world. Um, One of the challenges is in our day, we oftentimes think that faith is not for the educated, that faith is a crutch for the uneducated. And what's interesting to me is testimonies of some of the smartest, most intelligent people. Have you ever heard of Francis Collins? Francis Collins was uh, the head of the Human Genome Project. He mapped, he helped with a team map uh, DNA, three billion letters that ended up being about 99% correct. Francis, anyways, you need to hear Francis Collins. He's brilliant. I don't understand a lot of what he says, but this is Francis Collins and his story of encountering Jesus. Francis Collins, one of the greatest scientists of our time, was director of the Human Genome Project, mapping the three billion letters in the human DNA, considered by many to be the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. He describes how he encountered Jesus and came to believe in the truth of Christianity. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. 
But then I ended up in, in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that in fact given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible uh, and many other things including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe something that makes you think the creator must have been a mathematician that brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. Wow. A journey that I thought would strengthen my atheism, but to a surprise, led to my conversion. So who is Jesus? And how can it be that a poor carpenter 2,000 years ago could have such a significant impact on a brilliant scientist in the modern world? I, I mean, think about that. 2,000 years ago, a man... so indistinguishable, could have such a profound influence on a scientist who was mapping human DNA. I don't know what that does to you, but it's, it's crazy to me. 
How can a man 2,000 years ago have that kind of influence? Care in hospitals. What's interesting is in Jesus' day, lepers were put outside the town because of what they would do if they contaminated the rest of the community. Jesus went to those places. He didn't bypass them on the road. In fact, one of Jesus' most told stories where he was being asked, what does it mean to love someone? What did he give the picture of? Someone who was beaten and left the, the good, what's the, uh, the good, um, the good, have you ever heard of Sunday school? The good Samaritan, the good Samaritan uh, is this story about a man who was beaten and left for dead and two religious men walk by him and pass on the other side of the road, but a, a Samaritan who was despised actually walked up, picked up the man, bandaged him, took care of him, took him to a hotel, cared for his wounds, and that laid the, the groundwork, the framework for what would eventually become hospitals. You know where hospitals began? Around the year 300. And hospitals began from a group of followers who took the teachings of Jesus seriously and gave their lives to care for those who needed care. And in fact, if you look at the names of so many hospitals and hospital cities in our country today, so many of them are marked by that very thing. Have you ever heard of Good Sam Hospital? There's one in every city. Where did they get that name? They got it from the teachings of Jesus. Have you ever seen a hospital named Mercy Hospital? They're all over the country. How did they get that name? They come from the teachings of Jesus, a man who lived 2,000 years ago and influenced so many people that they gave their lives and their money and their resources to actually do what he said. Is that unbelievable to you? It is to me. I mean, who was this man that had such influence that we feel the reverberations of his teachings even to this day? Compassion and recovery. So many people enter into addictions that, that tend to, to, to bind us and hold us back from who God wants us to be. There was a little group called the Oxford Group, and all they wanted to do was take the teachings of Jesus, the Oxford Group, take the teachings of Jesus and make them real in their lives. And what began as the Oxford Group, just taking the teachings of Jesus and making them real, became the foundation of the 12 Steps program. And it was all about helping people recover with compassion and love and honesty, just taking the teachings of Jesus and making them real in our lives. I don't even have time to talk about the art, the music that was all impacted by the teachings and this pursuit of Jesus. I mean, think about all the great artists, architecture, uh, when you travel in Europe and around the world, so many times you spend money and time to go to cathedrals which were built, money sacrificed in order to represent this man Jesus in the world. And culture, I mean our culture in particular. Do you know that this is um, in our constitution? Oh, you already know this. You know this because we were taught this in school. School started by followers of Jesus. You see what I just did right there? Kind of. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, 
that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where did this come from? Where did this concept and this idea come from? Listen, history opposes this idea. If you study history, if you go back and you look at the historical track, you will find that people believed that everyone was given a name and power by birth, not by God, but if you were born in the right place to the right people, then you have these rights, but if you were born to the wrong people in the wrong time, you do not have these rights. Everyone is not created equal. That's what history says. Where does this come from? Not our founding fathers. This comes from Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. All of our culture is built around this concept. As you see, like, the framework of what is most beautiful in our culture. Now, listen, I know that we don't always do this right. We've made a mess of this. Can I get an amen in the congregation? We've made a mess of this at times, but the foundation of this is the teachings of Jesus, and it's what he gave his life for so that we might all, all of us, no one excluded, be welcome to the table of God. Every single one of us. Uh, one of my favorite books, and I'll give you the book here in just a few minutes, but I mean, I'm not going to give it to you, but I'll give you the title. You can get it for yourself. Um, John Ortberg, he says this, there's something about Jesus that keeps prodding people to do what they would rather not do. Francis of Assisi gives up his possessions. Augustine gives up his mistress. John Newton gives up his slave trade, and Father Damien gives up his health. Who is this man? that through the last 2,000 years has such an influence that people's lives are radically transformed and the world is made a better place by his teachings. Jesus is the one who said this, the thief, there is a thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. And I would say this is true about you. There is a thief who wants to kill and steal and destroy your life. But Jesus, his purpose was here to give us a full and satisfying life. That's why he came. And his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, everything points to the life that he wants to give us. And then he said this, that anyone who has seen him has seen the Father, that when we get a glimpse of Jesus and we get a good glimpse of Jesus, we actually get a glimpse of our heavenly Father. If you wanna know who God is and what God is like, look at Jesus. Just, just look at Jesus. I was writing this week, um, I was so overwhelmed once again by, by just the, the trying to grasp. I mean, do you know how small we are? I mean, do you really know how small we are as humans? And I, I was reminded that um, life is so short and um, the stark reality is when, when I die, everything will continue. Do you realize how small we are? And yet this man, who we have all these historical records pointing to his life, this man who lived 2,000 years ago in an obscure village that we would have never heard about had it not been for Jesus, Bethlehem. You would have never heard of Bethlehem had it not been for Jesus. How could it be 
that this man has influenced more people in 2,000 years than Caesar, the strongest man in his same day that ever lived. How could it be that you know Jesus and you don't even know which Caesar I'm talking about? Is it Julius? Is it Augustus? Which Caesar? Who cares? But you know Jesus. You know the name of Jesus. How could it be that a man who lived in such a time could influence so much over the course of 2,000 years? And as much as we're trying to destroy what he's done in a culture around the world, look, in every place that then tries to leverage the teachings, the message of Jesus, every culture that tries to leverage that for power, what happens is it, begin, it eventually begins to crumble in that culture and it rises up in another culture. You wanna know where the fastest growing edge of the Christian church is these days? It's in the southern hemisphere, it's not here. Why? Because we've tried to leverage it for power. Because the message of Jesus is not for the powerful, it's for the humble and those who admit their need for a higher power. That's the message of Jesus. I was scribbling out some notes and um, this is what I ended up with. I'm sorry, I apologize. Let's memorize this together. <laughs> the most influential human in history never wrote a book or starred in a film. He didn't travel the world or fill stadiums on a tour. He didn't surround himself with the influencers or power brokers of his day. He had no family name or political power handed over to him, yet he started a movement with a ragtag group of followers that sought to invite every person to be loved and transformed by that same love for the good of the world. And that movement continues to grow 2,000 years later, rooted in self-sacrifice and humility. And there is no one in the course of human history that comes close to comparison. No one. Who is the second greatest name you know in human history? You don't even have an answer. Because everyone else pales in comparison. Someone mentioned, uh, I would have lunch with, with Abraham Lincoln. That's a great choice. I wonder if he'd wear his hat, but it's a great choice. Abraham Lincoln pales in comparison. Let me ask you, uh, when did Abraham Lincoln, I actually don't know the answer to this question. What year was he president? Any history buffs? Sixty-five. he was assassinated. So 1865 was assassinated. So he lived in, that's amazing. Um, uh, so 50s, 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s, let's say life of Abraham Lincoln. Let me ask you, how many people today gather in the name of Abraham Lincoln every Sunday to sing some songs and listen to his teachings? How many people? No one. Caesar Augustus, who was at the height of Roman power, how many people 2,000 years later gather to celebrate the life of Caesar Augustus? No one. Today, millions upon millions of people gather in the name of Jesus because this man, Jesus, has had that kind of profound influence. Is that amazing? So who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? And I think the most important question um, that Jesus ever asked in his life. He was with his disciples and he asked them, he said, you know, who do people say that I am? And they gave some different answers. And, um, and then Jesus looked at them and he said, but who do you say that I am? And it's like this 
Jesus staring right at your heart and asking you a really different, difficult question that I want to ask of you. So who is this man to you? Jesus. Who, who is he? I mean, there's, there's probably no doubt that he was a historical figure. We have all kinds of evidence pointing to that. And I think every single one of us needs to wrestle with this question. Who do you say that I am? What's amazing to me is um, my mom uh, grew up in Florida. She was born in Lakeland, Florida, but grew up in Fort Myers, Florida. And just like every family, my mom's family had stuff. How many of your families have stuff? (laughs) All of us. But for my mom, uh, who grew up, I can't tell you the year. She'll be mad if I tell you the year. But she grew up a while ago. She was so influenced by this man, Jesus, that she gave her life to him and has lived her life trying to honor God in everything that she did. My dad, I've told you about, was born in Loosedale, Mississippi, a tiny little town. And um, he experienced a really rough childhood, and I've told you uh, about his father, alcoholic, abusive, committed suicide. My dad found him and um, has had to walk through all that. This man who lived 2,000 years ago loved my father and so influenced him that my dad gave his entire life to trying to introduce Jesus to people. And one of the people that my mom and dad introduced to Jesus was me. And I know, like, the real me. You know the real me, too, but not all of the real me. Jesus loves me. And all of me. He doesn't love just parts of me. And it's amazing to me that this Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago could have such an influence in the modern world with all the trappings that we have that that Jesus would accept me and would welcome me into God's kingdom and invite me to sit at that table. But it's not just me. That same Jesus loves you. And if you look at his teachings that are found in scripture And if you search for him, and I believe you'll find him with all of your heart, that same Jesus could have a transformative, I mean, a life-altering, eternity-altering impact on your life. And he could give you a glimpse of your heavenly father. And so I told you I was going to give you a prayer every week. Um, So maybe this is your prayer for this week. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Help me to see and know you in the life, teaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's a great prayer. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me and help me to see you and know you in the life, the teaching, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, There's so much written about Jesus. These are three of my um, 
These are my, three of my favorite books uh, that are just uh, beautiful writings. Uh, who is this man? John Ortberg's. He does so much research on how Jesus has impacted the culture that we're currently living in. So I'd highly recommend Who is This Man? Um, Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew is this, um, in, in some ways, some emotional like honesty from Philip Yancey that I find extremely powerful. And then N.T. Wright, for the scholars among us, N.T. Wright, who need the scholar, like that's, that's N.T. Wright. So three great books if you want to dig in. Um, we're going to sing one more song. Would you, would you stand with me? And um, as we sing, um, I want, to, I want to give you, we want to give you just some space to respond. And um, there's candles in the back of the room, and light in the Bible represents God's presence. And so maybe you are in a place of seeking and wondering and looking and searching. And so maybe during this time when we sing, you want to light a candle and just ask God to make himself real to you. Maybe you're just in a situation that you need God to show up. There's communion, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. And uh, maybe you need to take communion just to be reminded of God's great love for you. In the back is a prayer wall. And maybe, um, maybe you just need to write out a prayer. What's true about um, so many of those people we were talking about, how culture has been influenced, what's true about so many of those people is they made a decision to trust that Jesus was who he said he was. But then they made a decision to, to receive that love that he had for them. My parents made that decision. I made that decision. And you can make that decision, even right now, where you are. Like, you can make a decision to trust the God of the universe who was so in love with his creation that he sent Jesus Christ to give us a glimpse, a picture, to reveal what love truly looks like. And Jesus gave up his life on the cross. He was crucified. There's even so much evidence that he was resurrected. And he did this to give us hope, to give us peace, and to give us life. And you can receive that today. So God, in this place and in this space, um, we're overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. We're, we're overwhelmed by just the realities of how Jesus has, over 2,000 years, shaped so many pieces of culture, from education to care to compassion ministries and recovery. But God, the truth is, um, Jesus wasn't sent uh, to just make the world a little bit of a better place. He was sent so that we might enter into a relationship with you, so that we might know you. So God, we trust you by trusting Jesus. We invite you by inviting Jesus into our lives to just be the leader, the, the Lord and the Savior and God, we will follow and try to live our lives in a way that reflects his teaching, his love, and his compassion for this world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.